0: The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, October 24th, 2022.
1: The woman in your life who will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life She can rest so easily She does everything you do because
2: the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holt, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. What a nice day. It is a little cool here in Sonoma County, but I'm really excited that we woke up and it's a beautiful day. We did our meditations and we're ready to go. I'm really excited this morning. Joining me in the studio is one of my favorite authors, Susan Campbell, who is a sought after relationship expert and author of 11 books. Well, you've been busy, Susan. Uh, We will be talking about her new book, From Trigger to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflict and Heal Childhood Wounds. And I know in reading some of her books and looking at some of her material, I know that we're going to get some really good information and good ways to cope with some of the stuff that's going on outside in this world today. And I'm looking forward to this uh, interview. It's really an honor to have her in the studio with me and know that my listeners will get a lot of valuable information. Well, I have a few announcements. First of all, I want to do a shout out to the National Organization for Women on Monday. They had a special Zoom uh, presenting Rosita Stephen Halsley, who is the niece of women rights and civil activist attorney, Dr. Polly Murray. It was fantastic, and I want to do a shout-out to everybody that showed up. We had almost 40 people. Actually, we had 39 people at one time, which is really amazing on a Monday night Zoom. And also, I felt in listening to uh, Rosita, I felt like I was so close to history, particularly since Paulie Murray is one of my heroes. And then uh, another thing that happened that I thought was very, very... Uh, very inspiring and very listen. Uh, it's we had the Andy Lopez memorial on Saturday. Uh, Each year on the day that young Andy Lopez, which was October 22nd, a 13-year-old boy was shot. And this is a memorial service. And what's so important about keeping the memory of Andy Lopez alive is because we still are struggling in this community to have accountability and oversight with our law enforcement. And it just reminds us. And, you know, my philosophy is, you know, people say, why are you so concerned about Andy Lopez? You know, it's been nine years. Well, wait a minute. You know, I'm a great-grandmother, and I recognize more than ever that what could happen to one mother's child, one grandmother's child, one great-grandmother's child could happen to any child. That's why we have to make it safe for all children. And my dear friend uh, Susan Lamont was there, which I thought was just amazing. She helped organize it. We were doing a memorial not only for the young Andy Lopez, but also for uh, Kathleen Finnegan, who was an activist, very active in the homeless community. And it was really, we had Copper Woman out there singing. It was just absolutely delightful, a delightful day, even though the sadness of losing these people was very sad, you know. Kathleen went because she had e- ex- eczema. Oh, boy, that's a hard word for eczema. And young Andy, like you know, was was shot. Well, I want to read something that uh, Susan Lamont wrote that really touched my heart, that I think really uh, outlines and really gives the feeling of why we were all there. So I'm going to just read this. I'm reading it from a piece of paper. It was written by Susan, and she read it on Saturday. So here we go. Andy Lopez lived in a world that didn't have his best interests at heart. In his short life, he dealt with poverty, racism, national borders used to exploit and demonize. A future offering lower wages and fewer opportunities for employment. A school-to-prison pipeline that profits off its kind. While corporate criminals went free, he was told it is criminal to join a gang. And he wasn't even a member of a gang. And the gun. Andy had the misfortune to be a child in a culture that glorifies guns, war, and violence, tempts children with aisles of war toys, and screens filled with gore, and allows young children to play with real assault weapons in Martin Luther King, Jr. Park, under the uh, approving eye of local police. You know, I was there that day. You know, I couldn't believe it that young kids, one young boy was 10 years old, picking up an AK-19, I mean... Really, really. And when he picked up all the messages and sent his way, the county used that to justify killing him. And he lived all the ugliness this country has to offer. We can't bring him back to life, but we can honor his struggle. When we, as those concerned with peace and social justice, do our work, it is not enough to work on issues of poverty, discrimination, and violence. These are not issues to many. These are life If we do not acknowledge and honor those who actually live that life, our work is doomed to failure. If those can't see their way clear to those oppressions, look at us and see people who do not see them as individuals, our work is doomed to failure. Very, very interesting world. Presente Andy Lopez, your life mattered. And her mother, his mother was there and I met Sujay about nine years ago when I was at an event. And that she was the one. She changed my life. She literally changed my life, and gave me new, um, hmm, new insight into what was going on with law enforcement. When I looked in her eyes, I said to myself, "Great spirit, <laughs> you can do anything you want to me, but don't take my children, don't hurt my grandchildren." At that time, I wasn't even a great grandmother. So it, it, it's really, it was really a heartfelt ceremony. And then along with that, which is very, very interesting, there was a protest going on in front of the Board of Supervisors. There was actually kind of like an art show and a protest with people speaking. And what they were doing was they were going and they were protesting what's happening with the Board of Supervisors, that they're putting a kind of a kink in Measure P. We, the people, 65 percent of us, of this county voted that we wanted Measure P to to go forward to have accountability and to have oversight for our law enforcement and little by little you know they're trying to gut it and they're gutting what we voted for which is very important if they want to make changes they have to go back to the poll. Well there was another there was another protest about that and it was put on by the uh, now, let's see, what was that? The North Bay Organizing Project, which is a multi multi-issue, grassroots organization comprised of more than 20 religions, environmental, labor, student, and community organizations in Sonoma County. Amazing group. And they were out there. And it was also the National Day of Protest to Stop Police Brutality. That, to me, you know, when I think about it, what That is too metaphysical to me. This young boy is shot on the date of the National uh, Day of Protest to Stop Police Brutality, which has been going on for about 25 years now. So it's just amazing. So a shout out to North Bay organizing the project and to all the people that took the time to show up and to let their concerns be heard. You know, we the people. That's the first words in our constitution. We the people. If we the people do not stand up, if we do not let our voices be heard, nothing changes. And you know, it's very interesting, you know, when people ask me, "Why why do you do just a straight women's show?" Because I believe that women are the one that really need to gain the confidence to speak out. We're the ones who bring forward life. And we have to do everything we can to protect it and to make a difference and out of tragedy you know you know the first letter in tragedy is true is t and sometimes I think okay out of tragedy comes truth you start learning who you can trust and it's kind of a transformation time you know, whenever something hits us like this, it kind of transforms us because we get a chance to look at ourselves, we get a chance to look at the culture that we're a part of, and we get to look at what is happening around to make some of some of the things that happen happen. So it's, uh, it was, uh, uh, I don't know, how do I say this? It's, You know, here it is, we're doing a memorial, you know, and it felt more like a celebration. I mean, we do have Andy's Park, which is beautiful. We do have, you know, Ayala, which has come into being because of young Andy Lopez. But still, at the same time, there's still that edge that we still don't have law enforcement kind of moving in tune with We the People. Well, as we do every Monday... We do our little stint called Our History is Our Strength. Now, why do I do that? You know, I say this every week. And the reason I do it is so important to understand whose shoulders we are standing on and what the risk they took in order to move the culture forward, in order to make changes. You know, I think, of, I think of young black women like Ida B. Wells who went into the South to report about lynching and the changes that came about because of her courage. And so it's important that we know these things. You know, when I went to Sonoma State, that was in 19, I was there from 1973 to 1975. And that was the height, that was the height of women's studies. And you know, folks, I had no idea there were women artists. Molly McGregor and I were walking down, and Molly McGregor is one of the founders, one of the co-founders of the national, the uh, Women's National History Project, now called the Women's National History Alliance. We were walking to class together, and she said, oh, I'm so excited. You know, J.J. J. Wilson, she was one of our professors, she's going to do this book on women in art. And I said... Oh, really? Are there women artists? I mean, I mean, that's that's how women like myself, who I felt, you know, I was a journalism major at that time, and I felt I had a handle on a lot of things. And here, I didn't even know that there were actually women in art, and it has opened the doors for many. So today, today we have many, many women that are in the forefront. I mean, it used to be a phenomenon if a woman got into law school or a woman could become a doctor you know, but now it's happening all the time. And at the same time, they're working to take our choice away from us. And so it's very important that we hear about the past, we hear about the shoulders we're standing on. And my goal is hopefully, that it gives a woman out there courage to stand up for what she believes. So let's go ahead and look at uh, our history as our strength. October 23rd, 1910. Uh, and this woman, uh, made her transition, I believe, in 1967, was Blanche Stewart Scott. She was the first American woman pilot to make a public flight. I mean, can you imagine? She did this on October 23rd, 1910. Can you imagine in 1910 a woman getting into an airplane? I mean, it was a phenomenal. Well, she was the first American pilot to make a public flight, the pioneering aviator. She was known, I love this, she was known as the tomboy of the air. And she was also the second woman to even drive across the United States in an automobile. <laughs> I mean, just think. I mean, we just get in our cars. We take for granted. Here, this woman that was a really big deal. She eventually became a Hollywood scriptwriter and a well-known radio personality. Aside from clearing the way for future female pilots like Amelia Earhart, the fearless got soared past societal expectations of women and lived her life on her own terms. Now, here's a woman that I can identify with you know, here she stood up. She said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get in that plane. I'm going to ride across the country. And I'm sure it was, I'm sure there was all kinds of resistance about her. Well, let's do a little bit of happy birthday here. And this woman is another woman that I find very interesting. Her name is Belva Lockwood. She was born October 24th, 1830. 1830. I mean, wow, that's a long time ago. And she made her transition in 1917. She was the first woman admitted to practiced law before the Supreme Court in 1879. Now women I don't even think were allowed to go out of the house unless their husbands gave them permission. You know, and uh she practiced law be- before the Supreme Court in 1879 and she ran for US president in 1884 and 1888. I have to scratch my head when I think about this woman coming out like that. There must have been all kinds of all kinds of stuff about her. Well, let let me tell you just a little bit about her. Okay, she was born October twenty. Uh, she was born October twenty fourth, eighteen thirty. She made her transition on May nineteenth, nineteen seventeen. She was an American attorney, politician, educator, and author. She was active in working for women's rights, including women's suffrage. Lockwood. Uh, overcame many social and personal obstacles related to gender restrictions. After college, she became a teacher and principal and working to equalize pay for women in education. She supported the movement for world peace and was a proponent of the temperance movement. Now, we know what the temperance movement was. She was totally against alcohol, so that was amazing. But just think, this woman born in 1830, you know, and and just the idea of her getting an education to become an attorney and just the idea that she would even run for president, I mean, I can, I, I just close my eyes and just think of all the stuff that went on around her actions, so it's really, really amazing. Well, one of my favorite people, and she was born October 26, 1911, and made her transition in 1972 was Mahalia Jackson. She was an an international acclaimed gospel singer and sung at the 1963 March on Washington. When you understand the life of Mahalia Jackson, I mean, here she's born in 1911, we haven't even gotten the vote. And you know, the the, uh, African American women all across the United States were not totally able to get the vote until uh, they had the Civil Rights Act. But imagine this woman you know, standing up and singing and doing gospel and being an African-American woman. And she was so acclaimed. She was so acclaimed. And she actually worked with Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and, and she performed at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King, Jr., God, when I just say their names, it just gives me like a pain in my heart to think that, you know, in my lifetime, I've lived through so many assassinations. I mean, it it just, you know, folks, we really have to start thinking about what we're doing. And I hope this show... I hope this show gets us thinking about how we ourselves can take some kind of responsibility, and how sometimes there are these inner conflicts we have, or these inner challenges that are taking place that kind of stop us or pull us back. And hopefully, we'll get some good information about how to overcome that, how to work with ourselves. You know, our theme song is "The Woman in Your Life Is You," and it was written by Alec Dobkin. And what's so important about that song is what she's talking about: the woman in your life is you, and. other words, within each of us, we have a certain level of inner strength that we can move forward, but that we can overcome things. I mean, I was looking, I was looking at uh, YouTube last night, and they had a whole bunch of stuff on the uh, Florida disaster. And I was listening to this one woman talk, you know, and she was so, I could see it in her body. She says, you know, we have had a tragedy but we're going to come together and we're going to overcome this and I could just feel it in her body and her spirit trying to come forward and that's what we need to understand that we do have that inner power we do have that inner strength you know a local therapy was written uh, was written a while back I always forget the author but he was a gentleman that was in a concentration camp and when he said everything is according to how you think, even in the worst circumstances, you can find a, you can find a jewel. You can help. You can overcome if you allow yourself to go within and find that own inner strength. Well, we're going to take a musical break, and the song that I'm going to play is called "She Rises Like a, a Dolphin," and it's sung by uh, Kate Wolf. And w- what's so amazing about this song is, is it just kind of reminds me. Is when we're finished after the musical break, I'm going to bring on my guest Susan Campbell, who is a sought-after relationship expert and author of eleven books. I mean, this woman has really worked hard to bring information to us to how we can heal some of our inner childhood wounds and how we can move forward in our life. And for some reason, this song (laughs) reminds me of her work and also reminds me of her and also reminds me of myself. I have to say it just, you know, Kate Wolf, I was a dear, she was a dear friend of mine. When we first moved up to Sonoma County, we all used to go to the, uh, there was a, a, a pizza place in Sebastopol And, and I remember when I met Don Taupin who was her husband at the time and he played the mandolin and it was the first time I was introduced to the mandolin and I remember Kate singing this song. And I remember thinking how my whole life was changing. I mean, I was I was such a I was so young. I can't believe that I was in my thirties at that time. And listening to this song really gave me that feeling. And also, I think because I'm a Pisces, you know, <laughs> she rises like a dolphin, you know, about the sea and about a woman who just goes through all the different evolutions of life, only to come back to her own self. So let's go ahead, uh, Ken, and let's play the song. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Susan, O'Connor Uh, Campbell and we'll be talking about her song Triggered to Tranquil I love that, Triggered to Tranquil How self-compassion and mindful Presence can Transform relationship Conflict and heal Childhood wounds Let's go Ken
3: sea wind in her eyes. Sunlight cast in shadows like a painter's palette knife. Her hair fans out around her, floating like a crown. She plays on the water, lets it pull her down. Sometimes she swims sounds of the water speaking soft of love Her skin turns to velvet as she feels the waters glide She loses all her boundaries on this magic diving down and you're looking through a glass Like a one-way mirror Her reflection's far below Where she was, she isn't now That's all you read. one reaching for a hole, one floating freely, one trying not to drown, a dreamer with two faces, a dolphin and Actress no one knows
2: I love that, the idea of going to higher ground. I mean, that's what I like to feel like, that we are all making that effort to raise above a lot of the stuff that's going on. Well, for you folks just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinion of the stations, its board of directors, its members, and Women's Spaces. Welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine behold and without further ado i want to introduce my guest joining me on this studio is susan campbell welcome susan welcome to women's faces thank you elaine I'm so happy. and you know, Susan just told me that I interviewed her on my television show about 10 years ago. Where did 10 years go, Susan?
4: Yeah, yeah. It was at least 10 years ago. <laughs> my
2: goodness. Well, before we begin, is it okay if I tell our folks just a little bit about you? Please. Actually, I'm really proud. I've known Susan for years and years and years, and she's just had such an impact on so many people. I know she has had an impact on me on some of the books and some of the information that she has distributed to people. Well, Susan Campbell is, let's go, is a PhD, is a relationship coach who has over 50 years, who has been helping singles, couples, and professional teams communicate respectfully and responsibly. She is the author of eleven books, including the one we're going to talk about, from Triggered to Tranquil, Getting Real Stay. The next book is Getting Real, Staying What's Real, Five-Minute Relationship Repair, and The Couple's Journey. That's what I first read. I remember when I read The Couple's Journey. I think that was one of your first books. She has been featured. Imagine she here. She is on Women's Spaces. Listen to this. <laughs> later. She has been featured on. CNN Newsnight, Good Morning America, The Dr. Dean Adele Show, and and has been a writer and appeared in many popular and business magazines. Susan trains coaches and therapists throughout the United States and Europe. Her website is www.susancampbell.com. That's www.susancampbell.com. Wow. I mean, I could go on when I read your resume to have you cut it just to 125 words. Is there anything else you would like to add that you'd like our listeners to know about you?
4: Well, I'm, have a, I have. still work. I'm 81 years old, and I still love what I do. I'm um, a re- relationship coach, and I teach groups about honest communication.
2: Well, you know... You've had a very, I mean, 50 years, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, I'm 82, so I'm your elder, yeah. <laughs> but it—but it's hard to believe looking across at each other that we knew each other in our 30s, and here we are in our 80s with all the accomplishments that we have, but, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand, you know, talk about how you first got interested in this field, you know, what was it personally about it, and what your motivation was, and who were some of the people that inspired you?
4: Okay, well... um, I came of age, that is, I went to high school during the 50s, um, like you, I guess. And so during the 50s, you're thinking, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? And my parents had both struggled with what they found to be meaningful work. They never found meaningful work, and they talked about that a lot around the family dinner table. My father was a middle manager in a company, and. Um, He just talked about the frustrations of his life, but he couldn't do what he really wanted to do, which was teach college history, because he had a family to support. And my mom had never really been uh, educated with the idea that she would work, but when her kids grew up, she she tried tried different things, real estate and a couple other things, but she was also very frustrated about finding good work. So it was like my programming was to find work that I could really do for my whole life and, st- and enjoy it all my life, and it would really be meaningful, like the, the culture needed it. So I looked around, and the 50s was a time where a lot of conformity pressure, and people were seemed to be afraid to speak what was really on their mind. Like a, a woman couldn't tell her husband that, gee, what you said hurt my feelings, Or a man couldn't tell his boss, gee, you know, the customers want something different. I mean, I would say to to people, you know, why don't you tell your boss that? And the customer wants something different than what we're manufacturing here. And um, the answer that would come back was, oh, they just criticize me and tell me I'm not a team player. And my girlfriends would always come to me with their problems, um, and it usually had to do with not being able to say something to somebody that they really needed to speak honestly to. So I began to think, what's you know what's wrong with us? Why are we so afraid of each other? And so, become becoming a therapist was my way of helping people get. The things that are inside of you that cause you to fear other people, fear that other people are against you, because I didn't feel that. I, I had love in my heart, and I was pretty courageous and speak my mind, but most people couldn't seem to do that.
2: Well you know it's interesting when you talk about the fifties, I'll tell you a little quick story about yeah. myself. I had the audacity yeah. to come to school wearing black pedal pushers and a black turtleneck, gold earrings and red lipstick. And I was immediately sent home. I was suspended for a whole week because we had these crazy dress codes. Yeah. And I said to myself, I, I think I think I was I was very influenced by Marlena Dietrich that she was wearing pants mm-hmm. and I thought, Why can't I wear pants to school? And it was and then the second second thing that, that happened to me in the 50s when you're talking about mm-hmm. the oppression was because of the uh, of the McCarthy hearing. You know, I okay. asked my, my uh, high school teacher, yeah. you know, what is communism? Maybe we need to study it so if I, you know, meet a communist, you know, I'll know what to do. And next thing I knew was in the girls' vice principal's office, they're questioning me about my father wow. being a union man. Wow, wow. So, you know, so these were the things, you know, the, the people glorify the 50s. For women, it was no glory no. on so many levels.
4: No, and there was, I mean, I was aware of the McCarthy hearings When I was about eleven, and being able to to see the abuse of power, that was another. You know, all people couldn't like dare, and it was a cultural thing. People couldn't dare to really express their truth, like speak truth to power, because you know the McCarthy hearings. You'd be labeled a communist and so forth.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what they're trying to take away from us in, today, in real time today, which is really people need to pay. I think more women need to talk about what happened in the 50s. I mean, are you giving me an idea. Well, <laughs> well let's, let's, let's go on. Any one person that inspired you or gave you that oomph that said there's a woman that can do it so I can do it Well, too?
4: Margaret Mead. My mother took me to a lecture by Margaret Mead when I was in high school. And it, it, it just showed me that a woman can have meaningful work and an adventuresome life. And she also said something else, Elaine, that um, kind of must have stuck with me. She said, you know, a woman doesn't have to have a child to have a meaningful life. And so she was kind of questioning a lot of things about, about what we're taught. And I was already beginning to question what we're taught is a good human being. You know, a good human being is somebody who makes a lot of money and looks good and lives in a big house. I mean, that was the has, 50s has, norm.
2: Has, has a 24-inch waist. And we, you
4: know, and we, oh yeah, in the 50s we wore girdles. I mean, that was so silly. We were all skinny, but we wore girdles. I mean, it was just like, I came into this... know this world and I said you know there's just so much that's not making sense this culture needs help and people are afraid to speak up. So that that was the pain point for me.
2: Well, what a wonderful story. Thank you so much. It's so <laughs> important that women hear these things, you know, where we have come from, how we have evolved. Well, let's get into your book, you know, and I just love, I love the title. And so get, the title is From Trigger to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflicts and Heal Childhood Wounds. Well, give us a little overview. And after to give us a little you mm-hmm. explain what you mean by trigger to tranquil. I mean sure. I kind of understand it because I know I know exactly what happens to me. Something triggers, I cry, I'm everybody hates me. Next thing I know I go meditate, change my mind, and I'm tranquil. So, that's 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 basically <laughs> it, Elaine. So you know, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll,
4: I'll tell you the overview of the book. The book, first of all, is to help the in the individual and also couples and groups to To accept the fact that sometimes we react very quickly on automatic from a defensive place and we kind of go out of our right mind and because the reason we do that is because we're not fully present with the person we're talking to it's like something that they said or did kind of reminds us of some pain that's unresolved in our past and that's what usually causes kind of an overreaction in the present. But I want people to not get feel ashamed about that. I want them to accept that so many of us have childhood wounds that haven't been fully addressed and we can if we can see what the information is that getting triggered has to teach us about ourselves. We can then bring compassionate witnessing, like some deep breathing. We can do, we can do different practices, which I, I teach in the book. And there's also communication practices. We can do something with that trigger reaction that, first of all, says, oops, I'm, I'm triggered, something's happening here. I'm probably in my reptile brain, the part of the brain that just reacts automatically based on a survival fear and so the ability I'm I'm coaching people that you can actually recognize that even though it's sort of like an automatic thing and it takes takes you over, and then like you said, and then later you're calm and it's well, fine.
2: Also, when it takes you over, it's so it's so difficult to come back. That's, that I think that's I think that's what's so important yeah. about this book is that how do you come how do you how do you identify it. You know, I mean, for me, I mean, I went into therapy when I was 29 years old and I'm 82 and I'm finally learning how, oh, that's a trigger. I don't have to go there anymore. Yeah. I mean, mean, it it takes time and it takes concentration. And I think what you're saying is that trigger, what you mean by the word trigger is like it's the emotional impact that all of a sudden, boom, you know, like I have it with my sister. She'll say something and boom, I'm in my childhood. Yeah. And, and it's way-
4: automatic. It's just like somebody pushed a button and the old tape plays again that, oh, my God, she's criticizing me or she's against me in some way or I'm not safe here. So um, uh, what I'm trying to do in the book is help people recognize the signs of triggering and, first of all, really accept that this is normal. Because m- most of the reason I think that we can't handle our triggers is we don't really want to admit that, whoa. It's something happening inside me. What we want to do is blame the other person. Typically, you know, why didn't you say it this way, and then I w- wouldn't have gotten upset. You know, that's such a common thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
2: for billions. <laughs> so, so we,
4: so you know, the book is about. We all get triggered. Here's some things to do when you get triggered. And here's some things you can say to clean up the mess you might have made with a person who's important to you.
2: Well, you know, there's a, there's another thing in here that, that in the title it's called self-compassion, and one of the things you know we're going back to the 50s. Well, it, all of a sudden when you start thinking about oh you're selfish. All you think about is yourself. No. You know, it's like you're having to heal a part of you. You're having to focus on yourself, and at the same. So talk about. What do you explain self-compassion how you think it's how you how you see it is really possible and not possible and positive and not egocentric?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, t- to heal, see the self-compassion. It's it's not a, it's not about self-centeredness. It's there's this part of you, this child part that needs healing because maybe there was a hurt or a trauma or an assault or a neglect or something that happened in your childhood, and you had feelings, but they were too overwhelming as a child to really let yourself feel everything you felt. So you've got this stuck energy in your nervous system. You didn't get to cry all your tears because somebody would tell you to, I'll give you something to cry about. I mean, you know, there, there were a lot of things that caused children to close down and not feel. So The practices that have to do with self-compassion are really reactivating. You talked about within everybody in your first segment, within everybody is the woman, the woman in us all. Well, everyone has a good mother archetype inside of themselves. And I think it's time to reactivate the good mother archetype so we can be kind to ourselves. The good mother archetype is that part in you that goes, oh honey, you're hurting. You just got triggered. Let's, let me feel with you. So what we're needing to do is bring another part of ourselves to love and nourish the hurting part of ourselves. And there's a set of practices you know, that I outline in the book.
2: Well, it's also, it's also, I think, to bring to people attention that when that emotion comes, it's so powerful. Yeah, you know, it just—it's almost like it's almost like another entity takes you over, you know, and it—it's it, really—it's really, well, you—you kind of hit on it, and I think maybe to give a few, maybe a few ideas of how people can overcome it is, you know, you, one of the things that I read that you said was is that basically people run from their fears because of the emotional pain. So what are what are some things that people can do like maybe one or two things that someone can do like to help to overcome that?
4: Well, often people will say will say things like, "Oh, I sh- I should have said this," you know, like after the fact. Like I I should have told that friend that I can't help her with her birthday party, but I told her I would, you know. But I, I should have told her that I'm I'm actually sick, you know. I'm suffering from you know heart condition. Well, why did I do that? So what I try to help people do is start with those times when you should have been more truthful. You should have taken emotional risk. The reason you didn't was you were afraid, you know, that. The person would think less of you, or they'd not.
2: So it all—it all comes back to self-esteem. Well, you know, it, it feeling good about yourself, to be able to say, you know, I'm tired. I can't really help you this year, but I love you. I'm happy to come to your party. Well, I'm like
4: saying it, it. It. Self. I mean, self-esteem is your ability. It partly includes your ability to handle the normal emotional pains of adult relationships. But what, what I'm giving you is a technique that I give to clients, which is they weren't they were avoiding emotional pain, like the fear of being criticized by your friend. And you know, we see that so often. Pe- people just say I could not I c I couldn't I couldn't handle it or I didn't even occur to me because I'm so accustomed to just doing the comfortable thing but not but not the thing that might risk the friendship but it would also have me trust this person more and have her trust me more because i'm i'm looking her in the eye and i'm saying i love you but i can't help you today so let's say you you didn't speak authentically on monday but tuesday you go oh geez i should have so i counsel people to go if you had been completely truthful to this person, what would you have said? And get first of all, get used to saying it inside your own mind as if you're speaking it to your friend. And then notice how you feel. Oh, I feel so much more whole or more relaxed when I speak the truth. And then I will ask them, well, would it be appropriate to go back to that friend and clean it up and tell her the truth. And sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. But this is just one little technique that helps people move the needle toward taking emotional risks and risking a little bit of emotional pain.
2: But do you think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking just like I'm watching, I'm watching very different when you're a great grandmother. You really get to observe a lot more because you're not involved in the drama of the babysitting and you got to go here you got to go there and I notice how all of a sudden you know child is free and and running around and then all of a sudden there's a restriction hmm. and they have no power mm-hmm. and so it sounds to me like those are the those are the early beginnings when we when we really are powerless as children and now we're as adults and we have the ability because we're big mm-hmm. we can speak out but at the same time we're still oppressed because of that restriction.
4: And little kids are very attuned to what the adults approve of and disapprove of. Uh, And so they are, and they depend on the adult for all their needs, basically. And so often when little kids are unhappy, especially at the infancy stage where maybe the infant is inconsolable and the parents trying to nurture the kid and calm the kid down and... You know the parent can be present for a while, but pretty soon, if the if the kid is not the little baby isn't able to calm down, the parent starts to get anxious, and this will transmit to the infant. When I'm in pain or when I'm upset, there's something bad or wrong about me. So that's kind of the root of emotional the fear of emotional pain. Is we get that vibe that kind of nobody wants to be around me when I'm crying. And then the, and then the other thing is the, the very excellent parents are able to stay and calm the child and have a calm nervous system and teach the child that you can go from very upset to calm. Like in other words, from triggered to tranquil. You can go from one state to another because the uh, nurturing adult shows you how to do that. But so few parents have the patience to stay with the child when they're upset and be with the child. So actually, we have to learn to do that ourselves, and that's what the book is about.
2: You know, it's really interesting because I was thinking of my gra- my granddaughter Amber. That's the mother of the two of the two great grandchildren. She's always says to Satori, the little one, she says, "Satori, it's okay. Use your words. Use your mm. words. You know, like tell me what's bothering you, rather mm. than having this temper tantrum." And it's very, it's very enlightening to see mm. it and to watch the child go from Mm. intense crying to Mm. calmer crying to all of a sudden talking about it. I mean, it's a real... That's
4: lovely, but some kids just need physical comfort when they're upset, just need to be held and get your nervous system calm first and then use your, words. use your words. That's kind of the order. I'd put it in a slightly different order.
2: Yeah, so kind of, you know, it's it's but it's the idea of getting them to express, trying to get them to the point of calm and then expression.
4: Exactly.
2: And that's the healthy way rather that's than right. if if you know if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Yeah. I mean that. Well, let's stop at that thought and I want to take a little musical break here. And the song I'm going to be playing is How Could Ever anyone ever tell you and it's just it's just one verse but it's so it's to me in light of the conversation mm. that we're having and it's sung by Camp Tawanga and when we return I will continue my conversation with uh, Dr. Susan Campbell who's a relationship coach for over 50 years and I don't don't leave the station because we're going to be talking about five steps to trigger this idea that she's talking about so let's go ahead Ken let's go ahead and play how could anyone ever tell you. I have it by Betsy Rose Oh, okay, put it by that. Go ahead. Ever tell
0: you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your love is? How deeply you're connected to my soul. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less?
2: about, folks. How can anyone tell you you're anything less than beautiful? Anyway, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm in conversation with Susan Campbell, a sawdaff relationship expert and Author of 11 books, and we're talking about her book, Trigger to Tranquility How Self Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflict and Heal Childhood Wounds. And I believe that's so important heal childhood. Wounds. Well, anyway, your book—you know—your book is very interesting, and one of the things that it offers is twelve steps to trigger mages, uh, mastery. So, tr- what we were talking about is triggers: what sets you off, what makes you angry, what makes you sad. So, can you talk a little bit? What? Give an idea of what these steps are, if you let the folks know. Sure.
4: Yeah, the book is first part of the book is organized around the five steps. First is acceptance: except that just about all of us get triggered. Second step is. Know the early warning signs that begin to show you you're getting triggered before it goes completely off the rails. So know your, I call it your trigger signature, and there is an exercise there that helps you really become more mindful about, oh, those those things are starting to happen again. My throat is tense, my hands are clenched, my voice is raising. I better go to the next step, okay, so we've got acceptance, trigger signature, the next step and the next set of skills is pausing to regulate yourself. And how many adults in this world really know how to regulate their own nervous system? We're still, I think, in a kind of dark ages in terms of psychological awareness. We expect somebody else to change so that we can feel better very often, especially when we're triggered we go why didn't you know why didn't you do this thing that you know I like you to do and that's often a naive expectation because that person's dealing with their own issues, but we take it personally and so forth so um that's the Knowing that you're triggered, it's your responsibility to regulate your own nervous system. And and we do that with different breathing practices, grounding practices that are outlined in the book. And then once you're calm and you've, you've kind of got your nervous system so that your higher brain is back online. And the higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, is the part of the brain that goes kind of offline when you're triggered. So, when that 's back online, you can cooperate, you can feel empathy, you can communicate effectively um, so then, the next step, once you 've calmed yourself after after a triggering incident and you 're by yourself you 're with yourself it 's called being with sensations and emotions, and how many of us really know how to be with ourselves when we 're hurting, just like a much loved child comes to you with a uh, an insult from the playground. You wouldn't tell that child to shut up or grow up. You'd want to hold that child. And so learning how to be that good mother archetype that we spoke about before, learning how to tolerate these uncomfortable emotions intentionally. So this whole book is about practice, being a, like a yoga of inner work
2: let me let me give you a little story a little yeah. example maybe that you you know that maybe will help people really understand Good. this when i was about 8 years old i had a friend who had a, a eucalyptus tree mm-hmm. and the eucalyptus trees you know they drop little pods yeah. and we were all learning multiplication she lived across the street from me, and I used to walk home with her. And my mm-hmm. girl, her name was Cecile, and my girlfriend Doris and I would walk home. And we get to where where Cecile lives, which is the, across the street from where I live, and she takes Doris's hand, and she says, "Doris and I are going to go learn mul- uh, multi multiplication with from the eucalyptus tree stuff." But you, we don't want you to come. And they walked away from me. Mm-hmm. And that is another thing, you know, so I remember when I was in therapy, I remember coming into the impact of it. But at the time, I, I was too young to understand it. But as an, an adult, that, that feeling would still come up for me. So say, for example, there I am. I meet somebody, and they say, well, we're going to go to the movies, but, you know, see you later. They, 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 I already knew they were going to leave. But at the same time, that's triggered me yes. already. I'm, I go home. I want to cry. Nobody likes me. How, how, in that instance, would you give an example of how those five things would work? Well,
4: you would then go, oh, that was a trigger and there's nothing bad or wrong with me because I've done the acceptance work, but there's old feelings coming up. Let me be with those feelings. I'm remembering, sometimes you'll remember that eight-year-old girl. And you actually remember her, almost like you're watching a movie and you're re-experiencing her pain. But you're also the witness of the movie. So you have a little bit of distance and perspective. But at the same time, you're kind of moved. Like, so think of it as we're watching this movie of you at, at eight, as you described it. And it's like, oh, this poor little girl. I can feel what she must have felt. And so you're with yourself in a compassionate way and let her feel some of the pain that she probably had to shut down on and you know, put up a brave face at least some of the time when stuff like that would happen. So you, you let yourself cry those tears, and you hold yourself.
2: So it's the acknowledgment of the pain. Yes. The acknowledgment, the acceptance, it's not bad, it's a trigger, it's from the past.
4: Well. And, and you feel the pain intentionally which is different than the pain just crashing in on you and you feel powerless you you feel it intentionally you know it has a purpose and you just soften around it and actually let yourself feel some of the pain here and now that you didn't fully feel when you were eight and that helps heal your fear of emotional pain as adults
2: well i hate to say this this is painful we have come to the end of our segment you know we could go on and on and i'll tell you this is so amazing to me i thank you for sharing so much and for being here so any quick last words and give us your website and i would love to have you back again maybe in a few months to continue this conversation because i think it's so important for people to understand this
4: yeah i'd like to come back and so what uh People, what I'd like people to know is that I give a free, one-hour coaching class on Zoom. So I do a, a I coach people. That, you know, they bring in their problems, or I do exercises, or I, you know, I do a little mini workshop once a month. And so, if they go to susancampbell.com and subscribe to my newsletter, they'll see the announcement about when that free call is. And uh, I'm at the age now where I'm not charging so much for things. I just want to give away what I have. So there's other free things on that website, too.
2: So it's SusanCampbell.com. Yeah. Any, any last, one last sentence to our, our listeners that you'd like to leave them, a thought or anything?
4: Well, in a relationship, I think, is something I like to leave people with. It's very important to let somebody else be unhappy with you and to try to be curious about why they're unhappy. That's, that's a whole thing that we didn't get into was the relationship aspect of it. So uh, don't think you're bad or wrong if somebody's unhappy with you. Look at it as an opportunity to get curious and deepen your intimacy.
2: Well, Susan Campbell, I wrote a note, relationship aspect. That's going to be our next show together, and I think we'll concentrate on that. I want to thank you for the bottom of my heart from being here. And I want to wish you much, much success. And i got to say, you look beautiful for 81.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for the work you do, Elaine.
2: Well, my pleasure. Well, that's it for our show, folks. A special thank you to Susan Campbell, sought-after relationship expert and author of 11 books. And we talked about her her new book, From Trigger to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflict and Heal Childhood Wounds. You know, we all... Many of us still live in our childhood, and it's, it's very hard to overcome. Well, speaking of children, remember our children are the future, and it's important to get involved. And at very least you can do is register to vote and then vote. This is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Remember, again, our children are the future. We must never look, lose sight of that. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time.
1: In your life, she can wait so. Easy.
0: Previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, October 24, 2022.